with you. An invitation to write for just a moment. I'd like you to take your pen or your pencil if you have notes with you, or perhaps if you have a note app on your phone, you can start by writing down your definition of what it means to be holy. What does it mean to be holy? I want us to start here and actually put pen to paper. The exercise is helpful, I think, for a couple reasons. One, because there are many things that we know we should be biblically, but perhaps we actually don't know what it means. We get into habits of saying things or recognizing spiritual sounding things like being holy. I don't think it would come as new to any of you that the Bible says, be holy for I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? Now I'll stop for just a minute, allow you to write and think, and then we'll go on. next challenge I have for you is perhaps you complete your definition of what it means to be holy, is to say, what does it look like to be holy? What I'm asking you now is, what are the marks of a holy person? What does a holy person look like? One perhaps challenge for you would be, who is someone that you think of as being Holy. What are the characteristics of someone who is holy, perhaps, in the way they carry themselves, how they look? What is the picture in your mind of holiness? Consider that for a few minutes and perhaps jot a note or two down. starting here this evening because, again, as I said, my concern is that for a subject that is so critical to our Christian lives, holiness, Hebrews chapter 12 says, follow peace with all men and holiness. Pursue it. That's the idea. Pursue holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. I was looking around in my house. I couldn't find it today. I was going to try to go back and consult that book we studied together, Holiness, by J.C. Ryle. Some of you were very affected by that book and saw it as a very, very helpful work. I thoroughly recommend it. What does it mean to be holy? What does it look like to be holy? Now, we should stop here and challenge our own thinking on this because Holiness can be completely misunderstood as actually its tendency. And you need no more proof of this than to look at Jesus' day. Who were regarded as being the holiest people of Jesus' day? The Pharisees, because they looked holy. They dressed in a manner that people considered to be holy. They acted in a way that people considered to be holy. They were the holy ones. And in fact, Jesus relentlessly pulled their mask off because they were as far from holy as one could get. 
In fact, Jesus himself, the holiest man who never who ever lived, was rejected by those same Pharisees in part because they viewed him as not holy. What did they call him? They said, you are a glutton and a wine-bibber. You are a friend of publicans and sinners. In their mind, Jesus going to a feast with sinners is the essence of unholiness. Being seen in company with those who were open, out and out sinners, no matter that they were seeking repentance, but nonetheless, to the, to the Pharisees, Jesus was the very epitome of unholiness. What's the point? The point is that you and I can be equally mistaken to view as what is, to view something as holy when really it has only a very passing connection with holiness, if any at all. And to, on the other hand, view what is holy as even potentially being touched by unholiness. So what does it mean to be holy? I want to turn our attention to that tonight, perhaps as the Lord leads in weeks ahead. What does it mean as we enter a new year, the year 2023, to be holy? This passage here in 1 Peter 1 is perhaps the single most direct exhortation to holiness, along with 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, and perhaps a few other passages on holiness. We read here in verse number 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, I ask you to think about what it means to be holy. I wonder if for some of us, it's a little bit like what we think of when we hear a message that's preached on surrender to God. How many of you have ever been at a message when an evangelist has preached on absolute surrender to God and inwardly you're gritting your teeth? You're saying, oh God, if I surrender, do I have to be a missionary? Oh God, if I surrender, am I saying you get to make my life miserable? God, please not that. And being a teenager, right, and, and, and having some of those similar thoughts, um, or if I would even would admit them or not, Holiness, I wonder, is if one of those things that, frankly, if we were really honest with ourselves, we said, sounds a little bit stuck up, a little bit like you have to always be biting a lemon and having that kind of face as you go around. As I said this morning, like Morris Gleister, when he said, Jesus and all those pictures of him having a dinner plate over his head, like, that's that holy guy. And I wonder, frankly, for some of us who are younger, or those who have heard certain approaches to holiness, they just revolt at the whole concept. Holy is being, being holy is being weird. Being holy is being way out there. Being holy is something is miserable and restrictive and something that I simply don't want to make a real component or characteristic of my spiritual life. Well, is that accurate? What does it mean to be holy? What I want to do tonight is not focused so much on the positive aspect, the affirmative aspect of what holiness is, because 1 Peter 1 doesn't. But what 1 Peter 1 does is it focuses on what holiness is not. It focuses on the negative deliverance from that builds to holiness. It says in verse 14, as obedient children... 
not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The title of the message tonight is Holiness, a Deliverance from Deformity. Holiness, a Deliverance from Deformity. And I want us to see that holiness is not restriction, is freedom. Holiness is beauty. It is a deliverance from being deformed. Holiness is the liberty to be transformed into the very image that God has already placed inside you by his spirit. I'm going to look at this in three aspects tonight. First of all, what we are. Secondly, what we must become. And thirdly, what we must never be. What we are, what we must become, and thirdly, what we must not be. First of all, let's start with just the very idea of what we are. And what I have to say when we talk about what it is to be holy from 1 Peter chapter 1, we have to embrace the fact that holiness is something we already are. If you are in Christ, let me just say it, let me just say it very clearly. If you are in Christ, you are holy. Now, do you embrace that? I remember talking to a, a, a brother recently who was struggling with just feeling guilt, just feeling defilement, just feeling failure. And and I I I had to communicate to him, brother, you're holy. You're not dirty. You fundamentally, at your very essence, are holy. Why? Because as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The moment you got saved, you were made a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You, Christian, are holy in God's sight. That's who you are, as God is holy. You say, prove it. Well, 1 Peter 1 proves it. Go back to verse 1, and let's just look at how Peter introduces us to this concept. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect, that means chosen, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through, now what's that next word? Sanctification of the Spirit. Stop there. Sanctification. You were chosen by God through sanctification of the Spirit. That word, sanctification of the Spirit, is the noun form of the adjective that says, be ye holy. Now, let's let that sink in for just a minute. It is connect, those two words are connected. Be ye holy, that's an adjective. The noun form of that word, holy, is sanctification, holiness. It's as if he is saying this, God chose you to be holy through the Spirit. He sanctified you through the Spirit. What happened when you got saved? What happened is this holy 
spirit moved inside you. The Holy Spirit. And you became holy. You were sanctified. That happened to you at the moment of your salvation. How did he do that? Because the Holy Spirit brought about in you what is the root idea of that word holiness throughout the Bible, which is to be set apart. It is to be special. It is to be, in this word, sanctified. Listen to 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. Again, coming back to this idea. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar or special people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are holy because the Holy Spirit has moved in and taken residence in you. Now, how did he do that? 1 Corinthians 6 brings out this idea for you. In, in verse 9, Paul is working through this incredible list of unrighteousness that marks out those who have no place in the kingdom of God. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Literally, the two partners of a same-sex relationship nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this. And such were some of you. You used to be just like them. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified. You are holy. The Holy Spirit made you holy. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let me just say this, friends. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. He wants to convince you that you are something other than you are. When you sin this week, you are sinning not in keeping with your character, but against it. He is trying to convince you that you are defiled, that you are dirty, that you are someone who can never please God because you're such a failure. And the word of God speaks the truth to you, which is, no, you at your root are holy. You are. You have been sanctified. You have been washed. You have been cleansed. You have been redeemed. You have been purchased with a price. And if this week, the devil seeks to bring that accusation to you about your own failure, about your own weakness. Respond to him, no, I am holy by the blood of Jesus and by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit of God. I, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And just like in the Old Testament, that place was a holy place, a set-apart place, a sanctified place. Your body is. It's holy by the operation of the Holy Spirit of God. Now notice to what end he says we are holy. Look in verse 2 again. You have been elected, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification, through the holy making of the Spirit. Now what are the next two words? Unto what? Unto what in verse 2 of 1 Peter 2? Sorry, 1. Unto obedience. Unto obedience. Why were you made holy? To obey. To obey. You are chosen. You are special in order to obey. And that leads, secondly, into our second point, which is what you must become. What you are, you are holy by the Holy Spirit of God. 
what you must become, now get this, you must become holy. Wait a second, am I missing something here? No, we're missing nothing. The link is obedience. Now, jump ahead to verse number 16, 15, I'm sorry. Verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or in all manner of your lifestyle, of your conduct, of the way you live. Now, what is he getting at here? Well, first of all, we need to understand what he says when he says God is holy. God is holy. Isaiah 6, 3, we remember from the Old Testament when Isaiah sees God's glory in the temple and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What is God's holiness? God's holiness is his set-apart nature. The very essence of his character is to be different, is to be unlike any other being. This is what 1 Samuel 2 is getting at when it says, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. There is no one holy like God. There is no one set apart. There is no one utterly and completely different than he is. And when we see God more clearly, like anyone sees him in the, in the, in the Bible, they are utterly struck by how different I got a, a small picture of this when I was in college. I was, we had finished up a, a practice with, the, with the, the women's basketball team. I was on the scout team for them, and I went through practice with them, and we sat on the bench, and the Philadelphia 76ers came in, the professional basketball team, into the stadium where we had been practicing, and they were holding their training camp at Duke University. And I sat right there as these professional players came in and started warming up and getting ready, just feet in front of me. And here, I'm a basketball guy. I just, it was just awesome. I could not believe how, if you'll excuse me, holy they were in their basketball skin. I didn't watch them and say, wow, these guys are just like me. Wow, I could get up there and compete with them. I mean, the fluidity of their movements when you're right in front of them, their size, I mean, me, making me look like a bug to be squashed. Just the way they shot the ball, just boom, boom, swish, 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 swish. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm nothing like these guys. They're so different. That's, that's holiness. It's the closer we get to God, the more we say, you're completely different than I am. You're completely set apart from me and from the way I live. And that's God's holiness. We say, you are a set apart, sanctified, different being than any other. And so just like now, God says, like I am holy, he says, you be holy. Now, is he saying that we need to be set apart in his glory? Are we set apart in the way that he is the creator, the rock, unlike any other? No, of course not. What is he communicating? Well, look at verse 14. Will you look at where verse 14 begins? What are the first three words of verse 14? As obedient children. As obedient children. Now notice then what he goes on in verse 15 to say. As he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. In other words, he's bringing together two ideas. One, 
We're children called to obey our father. And just like a young child is an imitator of what, of what he or she sees in his parent. We see God's set-apart nature, the, the purity of his example, and we say, I want to be like that. And he combines that to say, as he which has called you. So we have our duty as children to imitate him. And we have our calling as someone who has chosen us, someone who has redeemed us, someone who has set us apart, and that is giving us a motive to be like him. Scripture has this motive again and again. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1, or excuse me, Ephesians 5 and verse 1, be therefore followers of God, imitators of God as what? Dear children. As children who are just trying to imitate mom and dad and to be like them. What is holiness? Holiness is the obedience by which we imitate God. By which we imitate his set apart, different, pure character. That is unlike any other. And notice that we are called, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, in every uh, form of your life, in every area of your conduct. You say, well, what, what does this mean? Well, who are you? You're holy. That's your nature. Your character is holy. And what now are you being exhorted to do? to bring the holiness that is the nature of God in you and stretch it out to every area of your life, practically. This is what Philippians 2 is meaning when he says, when Paul says, work out your own salvation, bring it to the outside, for it is God who works in you. What is God at work in you? You're holy. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you and God is working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so Paul says, practically speaking, bring that out, work it out to every area of your life. Peter's communicating a very similar idea. You are holy. You have been called. You have been chosen. You have been made holy. So let that holiness be seen in everything that you do. In every way, be imitating God. It'd be a little bit like this. Those of you who are parents, especially of young children, you know that we've been going through that season of life where we've been seeing our little children grow and we're trying to identify where are their aptitudes? Where are their delights? What do they love to do? What motivates them? What gets them going? And then we want to find ways to give them opportunity to develop. Are th is this one inclined to music? Do they love it? How can we give them opportunities for them to grow in that area? Is this one inclined to, to art? Is this one inclined to a specific kind of subject? How can we help our children develop? I want you to imagine that your child, you could see in them an aptitude, an inclination toward the piano or to some other musical instrument. You saw the, the, the desire. You saw the talent. And you saw the utter devotion, the, the motivation to do it. What would you do? 
a teacher for that child would be working out, bringing out that aptitude, bringing out that desire, bringing out that motivation through, through what? Left-hand scales? Right-hand scales? Arpeggios? Metronomes? Hard work? Drill it over and over and over and over again until what? Until your inner aptitude manifests itself in the dexterity of your left hand and your right hand and your brain to make beautiful music. You are working out what is inside you until it is seen in every skill that a pianist needs to have. And in the same way, you are holy. And God is telling you, work that out in every life uh, area of your life until what is inward to you is now seen as being outward. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, you are what? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That's who you are. Why? So that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that it's seen. So that it's on the outside. So that it is apparent. So what are you? You are holy. What must you become? Holy. You say, no, that's not a contradiction. It just means the holiness that is your character must become the holiness that is your conduct. The holiness that is your character is to become the holiness of your care of your conduct. And now notice what he says. Not only what you are, not only, not only what you must become, but what you must never be. Again, look here at verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Not. What is the opposite of holiness? What does holiness require? Holiness requires something having to do with your desires. Having to do with your desires. Your former lust, the former lusts in your ignorance. Now I need to pause here to notice that that word lusts is not intrinsically a negative word. We think lust is always wrong. But actually, as, as, as one commentator has pointed out, this word lust just means your desires. Your desires. And in fact, we would have to acknowledge that in most cases, it's not the desire that is wrong. It is the perversion of the desire that is wrong. God has given you many desires, natural desires, that are entirely right and entirely in keeping with his holiness. It is just that our flesh, our nature, our sin nature that has been corroded has desired those things in a wrong way. We have, been we have a natural and good and right desire to eat food and to enjoy it and to give thanks and worship God for it. And the devil offers us gluttony, not to, not to eat to live, but to live and eat. We are offered a very natural and not in any way sinful desire for intimacy, physical intimacy with a spouse. The devil takes that and twists it into a lust, into a craving for what is forbidden, for what is outside the boundaries, as 
I've said before. It's certainly not new to me, but it's so true. A fire is a wonderful thing in a fireplace. It is a very dangerous thing outside of a fireplace. And for so many areas in our lives, God gives us desires to be channeled productively through the fireplace, if you will. And the devil is trying to get them into the living room where they are going to be spread in an uncontrolled way. Notice what he said about these desires. They are our former desires. They are the used-to-be desires. That's how they should be characterized. And he says these desires were rooted in our ignorance. Those who, if you will, didn't know any better. Honestly, if you were to look around at the people that inhabit our neighborhoods, that go to work with you, there are many people that are given to lusts, to desires that are captured in them, and simply they don't know any better. It is in ignorance. When you talk to them about a kind of, of purity before marriage, they say, well, when you come off Mars... That's not a thing. Is that actually a thing? They are people who are rooted in ignorance. Listen to how Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle in times past, in the lust, there's that word, the desires of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Our character was not holy. We, by our nature, were the children of wrath. We all have these desires. For the Christian, they should be characterized as former desires. But notice what he says here then about what those desires will do. Look at verse 14 again. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. Now, what does he mean? Not fashioning yourselves. Do you know this word is used one other place in our Bibles? It is Romans chapter 12. Verse 2, and be not conformed, same word, only two places in the New Testament it's used, be not being conformed. What is he saying? Your desires are aimed at conforming you, at molding you into something that is at odds with your character is holy. Your desires are placing you in a mold. I intended to grab on the way out of the door some Play-Doh tonight, but Tabitha informed me that the stuff is so nasty that she throws it all away. So the best I could do is come up with some kinetic sand. I just brought this for just this very simple picture, that we are moldable. We as human beings are moldable. And we are being molded by something. When Romans 12 tells us we can be molded by the world. The forces of the world can make us into a shape that reflects our life. And 1 Peter 1 tells us that we can be molded, we can be conformed by our fleshly desires. Now stop and think about that for a minute and it makes perfect sense. You are, are around people every day who are being molded by their cravings and by their desires. I think of one of the most obvious ones, the one, a man the world lauded as a playboy. 
a man who became, you Hefner, a dirty, perverse old man that none of us would ever want to be around. Utterly, utterly degraded, utterly deformed by what? His sensual lust. And every one of you are around those people. I think of the relative that I have, a woman who is utterly deformed by anger, by bitterness, by the hurt that people had done to her in her life. And even as an old woman, she could not help but be utterly twisted, deformed by that bitterness. It ruled her life. Other people around us are deformed by their gluttony, by the way they relate to food. That has controlled their life and changed them. Others are deformed by pride, by vanity, by any number of things, by their fear. And the point is that these lusts are squeezing you in to, it, to their mold. They're squeezing you to be conformed in various aspects of your life into what those desires are making of them. Now, I want to see why this is so critical and so important is because sometimes it might turn our idea of what holiness is around altogether. We think that our holiness is threatened by something that's out there. It's out around us. I, I can't get contaminated by what's out there or I might not be holy. And do you know what 1 Peter 1 is exploding that myth because it says everything that you need not to be holy is right in here. The battle for holiness is not fought on the front line from what's out there. It's fought from what's in here. It's the desires of your flesh that are trying to mold you and conform you to be utterly deformed by those desires. As I was thinking about my own life, I realized one of the greatest battles for holiness starts for me when I get home from work or when I'm done after a long day of work. You see, what is the character of God as it's revealed in Scripture in holiness? God is love. God is love. What did Jesus reveal himself to be when he came to earth? The image of God in perfect human form. A man utterly given to the selfless love of others. And do you know what holiness is? The battle of holiness for me and perhaps for other husbands here is when I get home, will I choose by my own selfish desires to vegetate on the couch or will I love my wife, love my children, serve them, make myself last of all and servant of all? Or will I be conformed to my own desires? Wives, you can ask yourself the same question. At the end of a long day, at the end of a long week, when things are stressful, when things are busy, holiness looks like the way you love and when you serve your husband, your children, the church, those around you. In fact, Peter makes this explicit. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter 1. You actually, if you're there, you can turn right over to verse 22. He says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Purified. You're holy. You're holy. What does that look like? Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Did any of you write down what holiness looked like? Was unfeigned, sincere, selfless love of other people? That's what holiness looks like. It is. 
That's the battle for holiness this week. You want to be holy? Love like God does. Love like Jesus contributed. And start it with the people who are closest to you. Love. You see, this is where it gets so intensely practical for me. That holiness is not just me trying to stay non-contaminated from what's out there and make a little fortress for myself and for my family where, where I can be protected from all that contaminating influence. And instead, when I start realizing the battle for holiness is every single day and it starts in here about whether I'm going to let my desires deform me and my character or whether I am not going to fashion myself according to those same desires. And you see, when Peter says that this spreads to every area of our life, he is being so, again, intensely practical. We could even just take one of those areas, the way we dress. The way we dress communicates our own fleshly desires, our own will, a desire to be vain, perhaps, to be proud, to be rebellious, it's like the guy who's been pumping iron and, and taking protein shakes and probably ingesting illegal steroids, wakes up in the morning and decides to put on a shirt that's at least two sizes too small. What is going on? Is the problem the shirt? The problem is the desire to be seen in a particular way. And when we recognize that as the core issue with immodesty, we can apply it to everything. When I wake up in the morning and, and dress, what am I communicating? In what ways are my fleshly desires seeking to mold me in the way that I dress? In what ways are my fleshly desires trying to mold me in the entertainment I allow myself to tune into in the evening? In the way I approach my sleeping time, the way that I approach my dinner time, when I approach my eating. This is just intensely practical. Do you want to be holy? Well, you better look inward. And you better see that it is my own desires that need to be regulated, that need to be conformed before they twist and deform me in my pursuit of holiness. You see, not only are there desires, not only is there a deformity, but there's a deliverance. Notice what he says the opposite of it is. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of, in all manner of conversation. Friends, what is holiness? Among other things, it is this. It is the deliverance, it is the liberty from the deformity of my fleshly desires. That's what holiness is. Holiness frees you from the control that your own desires would have over your life to twist the image of God that he has birthed in you. It is not bondage, it is freedom. It is not deformity, it is beauty. It is not misery, it is joy. So this week, friends, what does holiness look like to you? What does holiness mean to you? in the way you pursue it this week? There are many answers we could give, but one thing that I want to encourage you to this week. First, identify the fleshly desires that most practically are trying to deform you. 
the fleshly desires, could be even good desires, but the fleshly desires that are seeking to rule your life and twist you to be against the holiness that God wants to see in your life, the obedience that he is calling you to. And then recognize that the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling inside of you and will enable you this week to reject it, not to fashion yourselves according to the lusts of your flesh, but ultimately to live out the holiness that he has placed inside of you, to see it spread to every area of your life, and to imitate him in the obedience of a dear child. Friends, what is holiness? Let's make sure that this week, Holiness is the deliverance from the deformity that our lusts would otherwise rule.